Hi guys, welcome to my podcast, Not Your Average Twink, where I talk about what I want, when I want, whenever I want, because I can. Uh, if you don't know what a twink is, you're obviously straight, and that's okay. Um, I'm sure you can use Google, and I am Jake Dolphin, if you didn't know, start clapping. Um, hello, I didn't say stop. Anyways, let's get into the episode. Boop. Okay. Okay. Hi, guys. Today I am joined by Nicholas. How do you say your last name? You need to tell me because I don't want to mispronounce it. Yeah. So my last name is uh, Yanya's. It's there's like an Enya in it. So like a tilde over the N. Um, but I, I have a stage name I use for my acting and music. And so I just I just sound it out that way. So I do Yan space yes but if you were to say it all as one my my legal name is nicholas yanyas and what what where what's the background with your name what nationality Uh, it's like a spanish name spanish okay i was gonna say jewish but i'm bad at stuff like that so (laughs) my last name so my last name is delphin um like dolphin but with an e and i don't know the the originality of it but um my real official name is melson so I don't use I don't use Melson at all. It's just my legal name, but everyone refers to me as Delphin. So sometimes when I say Melson to people, they go, "Who's that?" <laughs> gotcha. Okay. okay. Yeah. So we're both so doing the two name thing. Exactly. Uh, so you are from Denver, Colorado, and you know the only reason I know Colorado is because of South Park. Oh yeah, I forget <laughs> about that. Only reason I know it. I know that there's fifty two american states is there not but i don't know anything else i couldn't name three quarters of them yeah it's just 50. oh 50 it's not even 50. yeah we've got some territories (laughs) oh because hawaii doesn't count does it or does it no hawaii does count yeah hawaii's one of the 50. i don't know there's like 50 stars on the flag and it's like one for each state oh okay i always thought it was 52. okay so how, how would you describe yourself? So you're a gay Christian. You're still you're still Christian, are you not? And yeah. you were raised in the charismatic right-wing church, which you need to tell me more because in Australia, I don't know if you knew this, we are not very religious. Um, I think they did a census. I don't know if you guys do the census where the government polls. Um, I think they said this year that less than 30% of people actually ticked that they were religious. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah so we're probably more... Yeah, I feel like everyone in America, even the people who aren't very religious, everyone will still say that they identify Christian, Catholic, something like that. I believe we're about 70%, um, you know, somewhat religion that would be based in the Jesus Christ philosophy um, or history. So whether that's Mormonism or Catholicism or Christianity, but it's like 70% of the country what at least identifies that as far as being actively engaged, you know, that's probably not the case, but it's a very religious country in general, I would say America. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I I mean, I haven't been there, but just from what I've heard and I feel like with all the politics that you see in the news and stuff like that nowadays. um, So what is the the charismatic right-wing church? Is it a big church? Is it small? You know, that's probably not an official denomination name. That's just how I described it to you. Um, I would consider the charismatics quote unquote, as people who are kind of very spiritual Christians and believe in, um, you know, modern day miracles, things like that. They're the kind who like do praying in tongues, if you've ever seen that. Oh, okay. Um, 
or, you know, pray for people to get healed or cancer to get healed or raise people from the dead or like just like all the crazy stuff in the Bible that Jesus did. They're kind of like we have the power within us that Jesus had. And so we can do anything that Jesus did and and God can do that through us. And so they're, you know, very hyper spiritual Christians, um, which doesn't so much bother me. I wouldn't say I like agree with all of it, but I wouldn't say I disagree with all of it. Um, however, the charismatic side of the church, I would say has been very, very prone to be very political, conspiratorial, things like that in America that, that are maybe bubbling up to the surface as some of our bigger problems as a culture. So there's definitely some, some baggage there. And so are your parents still a part of that particular sect or? Yeah. You know, my dad was never overly religious. He's relatively political but never overly religious like would be a believer but not actively engaged was never a big church goer only probably went because my mom went and my mom's very very actively engaged and has been since i was about 11 or so so i was not like raised raised a christian when i was very young we were not a religious household at all And then there was kind of like some big family stuff that happened. My parents almost got divorced and all this stuff happened around 11. And that was when my mom kind of turned to the church and found God, got saved, and then introduced all that to us and made us go to church and those things. So it was really kind of my my teen years where I was very much in that sect of the church. And that was a primary influence in my life. Yeah. And I feel like that's when it would affect you most being at the age when you're so impressionable. And especially when you have a parent telling you, this is what we're doing now. I personally was never raised religious. I went to a Catholic uh, primary school. And then after that, my mom kind of just said the, okay, you can believe whatever you want. Here's what I believe, which was not really anything at all. Um, but my dad is a practicing Jehovah's witness. Um, and I think Compared to what Jehovah's Witnesses are like in America, I find that the Jehovah's Witnesses here, everyone seems to regard them as quite crazy. Like, I've heard stories of people, like Jehovah's Witnesses, coming to people's doors and putting their foot in the door to stop them from closing the door on them. And, like, they're not very well regarded here. They're not very well regarded here either, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're generally considered kind of a... I would say peaceful group of people, but extremist group of people is probably yeah, exactly. how most Americans view them. Scientology is really big in America, is it not? Yeah, it's really prevalent, I guess, culturally, probably more prevalent than it is actually big in numbers. So because you have big celebrities who have been a part of it, it's been like really in the public eye. There's been documentaries on it and things like that. And you just hear about it because these different celebrities pour so much of their money in it. So I wouldn't say it's big in numbers, but like everybody knows about it. So for how small of a religion it is, I would say it has a big influence. And I would say Scientology is one of the only religions that's quite unique because you can be religious alongside being a Scientologist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know too much about Scientology, but that sounds correct to me. I really want to meet a Scientologist. I've never met one before. It's one thing that I'd... Have you ever watched... um you know, Leah Remini, that chick that was on, yeah, she has a TV series on um, her leaving Scientology and them exposing all this different stuff that they've done and interviewing people. And it's quite interesting. I was watching it last night, actually. Um, It's scary. They would hire like, it is. Yeah. Private investigators and like put, um, set up cameras in people's birdhouses to watch people. Like 
crazy stuff. Yeah, I've watched a little bit of that series. Like when it first came out, I maybe watched two episodes or something. So it's been a long time since I've even really thought about Scientology for whatever <laughs> reason. But, you know, it is also a very wealthy religion. And that's something interesting about it. And, you know, in America, money wins the day. In most of the world, money wins the day. But certainly that's probably why it's so prevalent for how small it is, is because it's very, very wealthy. So it can have a bigger influence than than it has in numbers. Yeah. And so being in pop culture as well, like I know I was talking about South Park before, but like even South Park, they have episodes on Scientology and you see it in a lot of different TV shows. Always them making fun of it, as they should. I think it's a massive scam, but... um. So, so you growing up, how did it, how did you, how did you being religious affect you growing up when you were like a teenager? Because like I said, I honestly didn't know a single person that I can think of going back to my high school years that was proper religious where their parents were also religious. But I know there's lots of people that still go to church on Sunday and celebrate at Christmas time and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I'm from an area in Colorado called Colorado Springs more. I lived just north of Colorado Springs in a small town. But the Colorado Springs community is actually a very, very religious and conservative community, like the most so in the state. And even they have like a what's called a mega church out here called New Life Church. And the pastor of New Life Church was a guy named Ted Haggard. He was super influential. He was like had meetings with the president when George Bush was the president and things. So he, he was very high up and like kind of ran the whole evangelical uh, wing of the church. So that's like a denomination you've probably heard of a very yeah. relevant one, certainly politically here now it's a very relevant one. And so that was actually the church I attended and he's kind of famous for having a big fall. And so he got caught doing like meth and hiring male prostitutes. And it was this huge scandal, national cable news for like a week, really big fall. And that was the church I actually attended like in my, you know, maybe 13 to 17 or so. It, so it's funny. Sorry. I feel so bad for religious people who are really devout and they've spent their whole life trying to be good people. And then they're confronted with something like that. And they have to come to the realization that hang on. The person who I've been listening to who's been preaching to me is not really all they're cracked up to be. Yeah. It's very interesting because then you also see everybody's reactions to that kind of thing, right? So, you know, as far as my it had a huge influence and impact on me, my beliefs, as they all do, right? They they there are core values. And so our core values are gonna impact kind of every area of our life. And I think it had a lot of positive influences on my life and taught me a lot of positive things but it had a lot of negative things and of course the sexuality being one of them you know I probably had homosexual attractions from around 10 11 like the very early stages of puberty and because that was kind of right around the time we started to get religious and I would say that you know we weren't in a place yet as a country where it was like a normal cultural thing to be cool with gay people. It just yeah. wasn't, wasn't what was happening then. And I would say, even though I wasn't from a religious household until around 11, I was still from a pretty relatively anti-gay household until I was 11. 
was from a conservative family and it was just a negative thing. It was a thing you made bad jokes about. It was a thing you spoke negatively about. It's, it's always been a thing you don't want your kid to be, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's something annoying that I find lots of gay people my age. It's very much, a, oh, you know, we have it so hard. People love to complain. And I look back at, you know, obviously I'm young, but I look back at people who had to come out like 10 years before I came out or something like that. And I can imagine the difference in how hard it would be because even for me, like I, my mum, growing up, my mum was, would always put in little hints. She'd go, oh, do you have a girlfriend? And I'd go, no. And she'd go, do you have a boyfriend? And I'd go, no, ill. Like, even though I knew, but even though I knew that she would be supportive, it was still scary. So for someone to come out years before where they know that their parents are going to be not like not okay with it. It'd be so much scarier than what I had to experience. And mine was bad enough. Yeah. You know, I struggle with comparison things. There, there's certainly valid comparisons and I don't want to discount that entirely, but I also like, don't try to go there too much because you know, it's all relative, yeah. I think to a degree. So, you know, if coming out may have been, easier quote unquote in the sense for somebody because their parents were accepting or because society at large was more accepting, but it can still be a very hard thing for that individual personally yeah. and in their heart. Whereas it could be more difficult circumstantially for someone else, but for whatever reason they have, you know, they're a little tougher or have more confidence or aren't as emotionally swayed by such things. And so it really ended up being easier for them. So it, it's all just, so dependent on how you operate as a person and i'm a very like everything's gray person so i'm gonna obnoxiously do this on like every subject probably but but yes i've definitely had the observation that things were difficult you know when i was experiencing this and right when i was in high school kind of at the peak of like oh i definitely have this attraction to males and i would say i was somewhat equally attracted at the time yeah. So I was more bisexual as a teenager. It was only with sexual experience and things that I leaned much heavier homosexual. And so, but at the time I was very bisexual, but obviously one of those was just a purely bad thing. And the other thing was like a good, holy thing to pursue. And then that was when the big fall of the pastor who had like gay prostitutes and stuff happened. And so that was just, you got to watch the community react to that and just, the horrible things that were said, how it was handled, how it was seen and treated by the community of Christian believers in that in that church and the people I was surrounded by was was hard to watch and hard not to put myself in those shoes. Like, oh, my gosh, what if anyone ever knew this about me? Right. Yeah, so, definitely. you know, there's there's just all these factors that that come into play. And but yes, I mean, when you're raised religious and you go to church weekly and your friends are all Christian. You know, it's funny you mentioned, like, I didn't know anyone who was religious, like their whole family was religious and they were, I didn't know anyone who was atheist and their whole family was atheist. Like, I don't think I can think of one close friend I had who was, but even she would be real cautious to say that publicly because everyone was, everyone was religious. Everyone was Christian. Everyone's families was Christian. Everyone went to a church in the community. It was very uncommon to meet someone who didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like obviously 
I'm sure in lots of parts of America, it would be frowned upon to be to say, oh, you know, I don't really identify with any religion. Whereas in Australia, it's quite the opposite. I, when I moved into the house that I'm in currently, my housemate and me kind of had a little mini argument because she didn't. I had said, oh yeah, I'm Christian, but I'm not really. Uh, I don't go to church. You know, I might pray every now and again. I'm not really the most faithful Christian, but I would say I identify as that. And um, she had this whole, why, why are you religious? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. So in Australia, it's like, in the opposite sense, it's kind of like you're the odd one out for saying that you have any religious beliefs because most people don't, I feel. Yeah, that's very interesting to me. I didn't, I didn't really know that about Australia, but it would be fascinating to go there and kind of experience that. And I think I'd enjoy that because I like being around people with kind of different belief systems and definitely who come from different belief systems. It really kind of opens up your perspective and makes you think about things differently. So, yeah, definitely. Um, there's still lots of churches in Australia, especially in the cities. Like if I were to walk out, I'd definitely see a church in the street at some point in the day. Um, I just find that most people that you'll have your hardcore religious people who are quite devout. And then for the most part, the rest of people would say they're not religious at all. Yeah. And granted, that is becoming more of a movement here. So I believe if you were to poll like Gen Z in America, whereas, you know, the country on the spectrum is maybe 70 percent Christian, Gen Z is, I don't know the numbers, but, you know, probably closer to 40 or 50. So there's a big, big drop off and religion is kind of a dying thing in America. And the, you know, church is very afraid of that. Um, they're They're scared of it. They're worried about the youth and where we're going. And that's even part of kind of their whole thing and how they've intertwined into the political game so much is, you know, they've, they, they've been fear mongered too, and they fear monger to others. But a big piece of that is, oh, they're trying to take God away from our culture, from our society, from our people. And they kind of think everything's this like big evil outward agenda from the devil Yep. And that's being implemented through, you know, whatever policy or politicians or movements that they disagree with. Yeah. Um, when really, I think it's kind of what you were saying. I think now, like in my generation, even and certainly in the ones ahead, like the Gen X and the boomers, I think they were if they were Christians, but they were not practicing, they would still say they're Christians. All the like Gen Z people I know who if I have a conversation with them, they would ultimately be like, well, I do believe in God and I do kind of believe some of the things I learned as a kid or whatever, but I just, I don't engage in it at all. I don't attend church and don't follow any of the rules, whatever you want to call it. And so I don't consider myself one. They would kind of be like, because I'm not engaged, because I'm not an active believer, I am not one at all. Whereas the older people who are maybe not active, not going to church, not you know, doing anything morally that they're supposed to, according to their religion, they would still be like, oh, but I'm a Christian. So I think it's funny, too, because in America, uh, religion is quite tied to politics, whereas we don't really have that in Australia either. I think there's definitely a divide between. So we have uh, liberals, which is basically the more conservative side. I think they're kind of swapped compared to in America. And then we have Labour, uh, the two major parties who are more uh, like democratic. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how it's different in America. But um, people, especially younger people my age, would regard the Liberal Party as one where the people who are voting Liberal are more conservative and they're more likely to be religious and they're more likely to have old-fashioned values, which I don't necessarily see as the case. Um, I think it's just a stereotype that people give because younger people love to 
uh, shit on the, the right-leaning side. Whereas you see in America where lots of Republicans are also conservative Republicans. So big difference compared to here. Yeah, so here it's funny to hear you use the term liberal as a more conservative thing because here you've got your conservatives and your liberals and that is the massive big divide, you know, and a lot of people think we're in an era of more kind of political division than ever before. I don't know if I'd go that far. You know, we've obviously had a civil war in this country before and and such things, but I would say it's one of the more politically partisan times in our history. And you've basically got, yeah, your Democrat and Republican party and your Republican would be associated with conservative, your Democrat with liberal or progressive is another term sometimes used. I don't know if you guys use that term at all for the more. Yeah. So our progressive um, party is called the Greens. I would say they'd be the most progressive. Um, I think we also have socialists as well, but they're not very big. Um, But the Greens are quite focused on the environment and um, maybe specific um, legislation and stuff like that that has to do with uh, Indigenous Australians. I think they're more worried about that sort of thing. But me personally, I find the Greens party to be quite um, fanatical, um, just in the way that they say that they're going to do things, you know oh, we need to eradicate this by this year. But it's like, where are you getting the money to do that? I guess that's politics. But uh, younger people love to vote for the Greens because it's considered progressive. But I, and I did, I, I voted, I think I put them second on my list. Uh, we vote differently to you. I, I, explain your voting system to me. I think it's quite different to ours. Yeah, do you guys have like a ranked voting system out there? Yeah, so we have from... I, it might be the numbers might be wrong, but I think we have from roughly one to seven of the parties, and we put it in order of most to least, um, rather than just a, oh I'm voting yeah. Republican or I'm voting Democrat. Yeah, you're making me a little envious here. That's a beautiful system that I would really advocate for out here. Yeah, we have a pretty hardcore two party stronghold on the <laughs> political game out here, and those parties are getting more partisan, and so it's yep. it's it's what's led to the divisiveness and the kind of hostile political culture now is you've got two parties, no, no other party can really break into that. And then you just vote for one or the other. And one of the issues is, so our states do things differently. Um, but in a lot of states, like if you're, so you register under one party or the other, right? You register Republican, you register Democrat, or you can register independent. But a lot of states, we have primaries where, you know, the candidates who are going to end up running for the actual positions in office all face each other within the party and then win. And if you're not registered Republican, you can't vote in that Republican primary or if you're not Democrat. And if you're independent, you can't vote in either. So a lot of states do that, which leads to more extreme candidates because you've only got like the most right wing people over here are selecting their right-wing candidate and the most left-wing people are selecting their left-wing and everyone who's kind of moderate is not involved in that process. So then you get two extreme candidates and all the moderates have to kind of pick one or the other. So that's the two-party system, I would argue is a failed one in America, but I don't think it's anything that I expect to change anytime, maybe in my lifetime. And it's hard too, because um, your electoral college system, that has always confused me. Like whenever I'm following the elections in America, the fact that um, states, you know, the the wipes, the, you know how, 
I'm, I'm muttering my words here. You know how um, with the Electoral College, it makes it completely unfair because there's states that are just going to have it. Say, for example, uh, Los Angeles is going to have a bigger population of Democrat voters. So it just instantly goes that color every year. Like that, that has always confused me. I feel like it wipes out a lot of votes. Yeah, it's it's an interesting system. I think that its intentions had some value, but I don't know how well it applies to the current population and the current map of the U.S. One of the big issues, actually, is that, say, like a state like California, where, you know, L.A. is and it's huge and it's highly populated and it always goes to the Democrats, you know, they have X amount of electoral votes. So whatever their state chooses, the majority of the state chooses, all those electoral votes go to the party they chose versus like a state like Montana. I don't know how familiar you are with the states, but that's yeah. like a really rural state. It's all mountains and trees and ranches, and there's very few people who live there. So they have less electoral votes than California. But if you were to break it down per capita, they have way more per person. And so it's actually kind of weighted to the more rural states because they got to give them some votes, right? Like some only have three electoral votes or whatever, if it's not a very populated state, but it's still per person who lives in that state, that's way more weight of electoral votes. So, you know, one of the things out here that's kind of been true for a very long time and the, uh, <laughs> the church and the, the Christian community would probably not like this, nor the, nor the right-wing kind of conservative Republican movement. But the truth is, forever, both parties have pretty much known if it were just a popular vote, and if everyone voted or 85% of the country voted, then the Democrats or left-wing progressives would pretty much always win. Um, they, they would always be in charge of the government and hold those positions. But because of the electoral system... And because there is like a lot of outward effort to suppress people going and voting, like, and, and there's just lazy demographics of voters. Young people don't show up and vote. That's just like a normal thing in America. People don't really start voting until their thirties here, but you know, the young are ex very left wing compared to the rest of the demographics. So there's kind of all these voting demographics that would imply that the Democrats and the left wing would always win the day, but they only win the day about half the time because so little people vote and because the electoral college system is weighted towards more rural states and those rural states are typically more conservative. Yeah. Whilst we're on the topic of politics, um, I was going to ask you, so you, you, would you say that you identify as gay currently? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm, yes. It's the easiest way to say it. I don't know if you're, are you familiar with like the Kinsey scale? Yep, yep. It's like a zero to six. I'd maybe consider myself a five. I don't know. I have like, there are things about females I find attractive, <laughs> but I have no interest in sexually pursuing them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I tell people I'm gay. Yeah. I feel like that's easy. I mean, me personally, I would say I'm gay too, but technically speaking, I'm sure there's probably like a 5% there but realistically it's a lot easier to say that you're gay um you as a gay christian man how have you found that that affects your political views because i've found it really hard actually in australia and i think that with the current climate in america it would be way worse than it is here but it's so black people seem to see it as so black and white it's to the point here where if you vote um right-leaning in australia and you're gay 
people love to attack you and go, oh, you're voting against your best interests and your your internalized homophobia and yada, 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 to the point where you'll see on Tinder and um, other dating apps now, gay people will have, like, if you vote right, swipe, like, swipe no on me. It's so, like, it's so intolerant, I find. I, I don't care what you vote for politically as long as you have a reason for voting that way. And here, it's just, the current climate, it's terrible. Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, definitely. So, yes, I've got these kind of two different communities I'm from. So Christian community is very right wing and gay community is very left wing and very, very passionate about those views. So I would say you see a lot of the same stuff here with kind of in gay community, dating world. I'm not going to reach over and date someone on the right, or I see that kind of stuff on Tinder too, but I'll be honest, I kind of see it both ways. So occasionally you'll get a real conservative, right-leaning gay person, and they'll kind of put something coded in there, or like the vaccinations for COVID were very controversial out here. Yeah, there were people who were saying, if if you've gotten vaccinated, then don't speak to me, and the opposite. Yes. Yes. So that one I see a lot on Tinder. It's like, oh, if you're a sheep who got vaccinated, don't bother. Or like, I'm, you know, vaccinated and double boosted. If you're not, don't bother. So there's definitely a lot of that. Um, My politics. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, They must have a lot of options if they think that they can instantly, especially as a gay person, if they think that they can instantly cut off 60% of the population and go, oh, you got vaccinated and they expect to still be able to have some form of uh, successful dating life, good luck to them. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, as far as me, um, I don't know how much either one, I mean, they influence me in in ways like being gay and being Christian. Again, they influence my values. So of course, I think they influence my politics, but I wouldn't say that either community has greatly swayed where I land politically. I was definitely more right-wing when I was young. Um, I would say pretty far right-wing when I was young and always voted for the right-wing Republican Party out here. And now I would describe myself as a left-leaning moderate, um, mostly because I find a lot of problems with the both the leadership and the culture and the platforms, the messaging, really everything about both political parties out here, I think has a lot of problems, has a lot of corruption, and could their a lot of their messaging and their verbiage is just a disaster. I, <laughs> we need rebranding at the very least for both parties. But the right wing movement out here, I think, has gotten really, I don't know, dangerous might be a dramatic word, but I do yep. feel that way. And I feel they are pushing towards things that are going to lead to maybe violence, maybe off in the future at some point could develop kind of a civil war mentality. I've heard a lot of right-wing people talk about that kind of stuff, talk about how they're ready to take their guns in the streets as soon yeah. as as soon as Trump gives them the word and all these things. So, you know, I, I, I can't resonate with the right wing anymore. I think that they definitely had a, a place at the table um, as far as ideas, because that, that kind of stuff you're talking about of like, oh, if you're gay and you vote right, you're voting against your own interests. So there is this kind of like, I don't know how to describe it from the left wing, but they, they've they become almost the judgmental, as judgmental as the right wing, more conservative people, how I used to see them. I used to see conservative people as like, 
they're the more logical people, but they're kind of meaner. They're less accepting. They're more judgmental. They're more, you have to be like me to be accepted by me. And that was kind of always the flaw in the right wing. Now it's almost like swap. The right wing to me has not become the party of logic or the culture of logic. They're actually very emotionally swayed by everything. So it's like, oh, this makes me angry. So I'm just going to believe it, you know, or, or this. So they, they're, susceptible to things like fear mongering or things like uh, conspiracies or like the vaccine is like uh, the mark of the beast or just like stuff like that, that there's not really, it's all like emotion based. There's nothing like no information or logic to it, but the left wing has become like this weird judgmental place of like, you have to agree with me on everything or you have to speak the way I speak or use the right words and say it the right way, or you can't be part of, of what we've got going here. And there's definitely a lot of that in the kind of gay culture. So that, I, that has never resonated with me and I don't like it. So as far as for me dating, I've, I've been unable, like if you're a political extremist on either side, it's, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And I have encountered it on both sides. I've, I've, I've started kind of seeing people who were extreme right or extreme left. And I've, you know, it's, I hate to be the person who's like, oh, your politics are making it so I can't date you. And But it's really more like your, I don't know, your values and your personality are making it so I can't date you because it's almost like the way your mind works. Like you can't, yeah. you can't come to a like logical place. You're so like emotionally attached to these ideas in these political parties that it's controlling your life and every and, and what you think about every topic. Like yeah. in America, everything's become political. Yeah. And it's fascinating. They've even got like polling on it, like even movies. It'll be like, oh, if you're a left leaning voter, you think this movie was good. And if you're a right wing voter, you don't like everything is politically polarized here yeah. on every subject. It's crazy. Yeah, it's and, it's, it's yeah. funny because I personally, I prefer to surround myself with people who disagree with me on things and actually have different sets of opinions than me because I find that I, for one, am a very argumentative person in a good way. And so I find that I love to have like disagreements with people and I've always found that I've dated people who either don't really know much about my set of values or they're quite the opposite. Whereas I feel like nowadays people just love to surround themselves in friendship groups and in relationships. People like to surround themselves with people who affirm everything they think. Even They don't need to even know much about it. They just go, this is my opinion. Believe me, tell me I'm right. And then they like that, which I think is completely ridiculous. I feel like it's 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 a turn off for me in, when I'm going on a date with someone and they just keep agreeing with me on everything. I'm like, no, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I somewhat agree with that. So I am like you have always been considered kind of a debater, argumentative, whatever. I'm I've played the devil's advocate a lot of times. Yeah. Someone's trying to make a point and I'm just trying to give a different perspective. I mean, a lot of times when I'm conversing with people, I'm after why they believe that, not so much what they believe. Um, But there's also a line. And so it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe it's just because things have gotten so divisive here in our culture. But there's definitely a line for me where I'm like, I can still be around this person or be respectful to this person, kind to this person. And I strive to be those things to all people. And that a lot of that stuff comes from the my Christian faith side of me, right? But 
there's like a line where I'm like, I don't think I can be in close relationship with this person just because of how they think about the world. Yeah, and... like there's definitely people who have um, fundamental belief systems that are that opposing of mine where I'm to the point where I go, mm, are we really going to get along in a long-term sense if you think completely differently to me? Like, say, for example, especially I could imagine it would be more prevalent in a place like America, say, for example, something like guns. Now, I'm not necessarily completely opposed to guns because I understand that in America, the culture surrounding guns is completely different. But in the same sense, would I be able to date someone who was like a gun toting, you know, like they had a collection of guns and they went out shooting animals all the time? Probably not. Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, guns is a little different. Like someone owning a gun here is not bothersome to me or concerning to me because so many people here own guns. It's a very normal thing. But yes, if you're like, it's like a hobby of yours, you're really into guns and you got to take them out and shoot just to enjoy it. It's not something that, um, it just doesn't resonate with me and I wouldn't get it and it would feel like, a really far kind of cultural gap. And so there are just those gaps, like you're saying, these kind of core values or fundamental ideas that have to somewhat be in sync. And then there's kind of all this other stuff that I'm okay with disagreeing on, or it's even interesting, or I, sometimes I can even value like why you think that. Like a really controversial one, of course, is abortion. Yep. And can I ask real quick, what is... What is that in Australia? Is that as highly contested as it is here? Is it, what are the laws around it? Like, I don't know much about it there. So it's funny you should say that because when the whole Roe vs. Wade um, thing got overturned in America not long ago, people were actually in the streets protesting in Australia. And I was really confused by it. I actually went on a bit of a rant to one of my friends because I was saying uh, abortion in Australia is legal in, I'm pretty sure, all states. Um, there might be some legislation that people don't like, but for the most part, abortion is legal. And we have access, realistically, I think there's less of a, and this will be a controversial opinion, but there's less of a reason to need an abortion in Australia because, you know, we have public health care. You can get, if you need something, you can get it for free. If you go to, um, like, health clinics in the city, they'll have uh, buckets of condoms available for people to use. And I've seen that in lots of places. So fine, there's still certain circumstances where you might end up needing an abortion, but I think you should need an abortion. You should be less likely to need one here because we have good healthcare. Um, but <clears throat> I was I was getting a bit annoyed at people in the streets because I thought, look, you can protest whatever you want. But to be honest, uh, why are you sitting here and protesting in Australia where we have good healthcare and we have access to abortion? If you're all for abortion and you're so offended by America, like with what was happening there, why are you not offended about, you know, the Middle Eastern countries where they're doing genital mutilation and therefore, why, where's your concern for that if you're so concerned about America and you think that it's coming here? Why are you only concerned about that and not the other bigger issues? Yeah, I would probably resonate with that. I had a similar critique, actually. <laughs> there was a protest. I went to it. Sometimes I'll just attend protests to observe. Um, but I went to a protest in my city here, and Colorado is a, a left-leaning state at this point. And so really when Roe v. Wade got overturned, it really left the states in charge of their state laws on this subject. And yeah, and that was something that most people didn't understand, I felt. I thought people seemed to be of the opinion that, oh, that means that we're just banning abortion, which was not the case, as I read up on. 
Right. It wasn't, yeah, it's not a ban. It's just not a legal protection where it has to be legal now in every state. So it really kind of divvied it to the states. And in Colorado, it's it's going to be legal for any foreseeable future. So we're protesting in our city and our city politicians were like speaking at this thing. And I'm just thinking, are, what is the purpose of this? <laughs> and I guess, you know, making your voice heard, that's, that's fine, I suppose. Um, I don't have a problem with that, right? But it it just didn't seem like it served a great purpose to have protests here where nothing was changing. Like yeah, literally exactly. nothing was changing. Yeah. But uh, where I was going with this was that's a topic where I can kind of see the value in either view. And so while it's a very huge, hotly debated one and a lot of people, they can't even, I won't even associate with someone who's pro-choice or pro-life or whatever, I can kind of see it because I think you're pro-life people who genuinely think like, oh, this is about protecting human lives. Well, that's yeah. a pretty good value to have, right? That's and you're pro say, yeah. yeah, you're pro-choice people like... who are like, this is about rights and I want women to have equal yeah. rights and bodily autonomy. That's also a pretty good value. So I can see the value to both ideas. Yeah. I feel like either sides of the equation, um, whatever you believe it, that's going to come with certain values and things that you might like in a person. You, as long as that person who is uh, pro-life actually has given some thought on it and cares about other things that are going on and maybe the bigger picture as to why. Um, there, Say, for example, I know I was reading a statistic a while ago. I think something like more black babies in America are aborted every year than black babies that are born. And so, say, for example, fine, it's easy to sit there and say that that's bad and ban abortion. But really you need to think about the issues behind that and why it is like that and say for example uh black families not lots of them not having dads and stuff like that something like 70 percent you need to look at the other issues as to why it's be that's being caused rather than just going oh flat either abortion or no abortion look at the nuance in between right and i i think that in America with the abortion issue, you know, one of the biggest kind of problems with the pro-life movement is that they don't really want to take any measures that actually prevent abortion. One, like what you were talking about with healthcare, access to contraceptives and birth control, like they, they're trying to morally police more than they're trying to save lives, or at least that's the impression they're giving off to the majority of the country. And so the pro-life movement has become less about pro-life and more of kind of a religious movement of we're trying to control people's sex lives. And that's really how it feels here. And that's been part of the problem with their messaging and even their motives in a lot of ways, because there are many proven ways to prevent abortions. And a lot of them have to do with healthcare and even like giving birth control to high school students is proven to lessen abortions in the high schools they do that in. But of course, the pro-lifers don't like that because it means the high schoolers are going to have sex, which they're going to have sex anyway. So, <laughs> you know, but the problem is they don't really want to implement things that actually prevent abortions or prevent the need for them. And that's kind of their problem. And then your, your pro-choice problem is that they're not, I think that they're not, one, my problem with say like the pro-choice is kind of the stuff we were talking about, the left-wing movement, which is like, a lot of pro-choice people, the more kind of radical side, but I would say maybe, you know, a solid 40% of amount, the passionate, yeah. they would they would have a problem with you and me, two men, even having a conversation about yeah, this. Yeah, our no opinions, humorous, no opinion. Yeah, our, our opinions don't even matter on this. And so it's like, well, no, I don't have to 
be a woman to have an opinion or to have a valuable opinion, you know, just like, I don't, I think a straight person could have a pretty valuable opinion on gay rights. So exactly. Yeah. uh, Straight people got to vote in the gay marriage say, so why should we not be able to voice our opinions as long as they're an educated opinion? Yeah, for sure. So I, I see problems with both sides. And again, I'm somewhat of a moderate on this issue. I'm kind of a, the end of the day, a pro-choice, but in great moderation person. Cause I'm, I'm kind of my value would more be pro-life, but I kind of understand the need societally on the big picture. And frankly, I do see a difference, you know, and this would be very controversial with a lot of my Christian crowd. And I did not used to feel this way, but ultimately when I examined it, examined it in my heart, I was, you know, I have a child. So I I've been through this process of her being in the womb and watching her grow and be born and all of that. And I, I will say unequivocally, if she had passed away three months or three weeks or even three months into the womb versus now, the impact on my heart would be radically different, radically different. It's incomparable. And so I I do not think that I can compare a seven-year-old human life to a, you know, one month old fetus. That being said, I do believe that one month old fetus is a human life form. I don't think that is really debatable. And so to me, it's always been, we're debating the wrong thing. And really what we, what we need to be debating is when does a human life form get human rights? And I would like to see that line drawn somewhat early, but not necessarily a conception. So that's kind of where I land on it, but I, that kind of makes nobody happy. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing that uh, frustrates me the most in the whole argument. I feel like the people, it's more radical people, but the people who are saying that they are pro-choice, a lot of them seem to diminish the rights of, like, they, they, you know, when you hear people going, oh, well, it's only a clump of cells until it's born. Like, do you really think that? Or is that just something that you're saying so that you can use it as an excuse for your argument? Like, do you actually think that, you know, up until it's born and it's come out and it's breathing that it's a clump of cells and that you can get rid of it? Yeah, virtually no one except for real radicals believe that. So my my kind of conversation starter has always been, are you comfortable with aborting a baby the day before its due date? Okay, 99% of people are going to say no. I'm not comfortable with that. Okay, what about the day before that? What about the day before that? And so you just walk it back. And at what point are you comfortable? And then more importantly, why? Yeah. So I don't feel like the pro-choice movement has a good scientific reason and line that they draw as a movement and say, this is where we're comfortable and this is scientifically why it's okay to abort before this point and not after this point. And I I think that's been a real problem for me in the pro-choice movement. And even, even though I want abortion to some degree to be legal, I absolutely don't want it to be legal in all in every circumstance into the third trimester, because I, at some point I do believe, Oh, that's just a baby existing. That baby could be born today and and be fine and survive. And so that, yes, you're right. It's almost like a disregard of like, we're acknowledging this life, the human life, the woman who's carrying the baby, but we're not acknowledging the life inside of her a lot of times in the, the pro-choice movement. And so, and then the pro-life movement is almost kind of the opposite. And they're, <laughs> they're like only acknowledging the, the life inside the woman. And so 
again, it's just this idea of balance and it's balance and nuance is getting really, really lost yeah. in modern really political needs culture. There a general set consensus as to, okay, at what point do we consider it a baby and at what point do we consider it a clump of cells, like people like to say. But it's really hard because I feel like a lot of the people, if asked, say like at a rally or a protest or something like that, I see lots of people online in videos where they will be using the whole, oh, it's a clump of cells. And I don't think that they genuinely think that um, in their head. I think that they like to just use it to uh, provide a reason for their argument without, you know, without being able to justify it. It's really hard. I, but as with everything, there's lots of really bad arguments on both sides. So, Yeah, for sure. I mean, we can sit here and poke holes in probably both yeah. sides of every movement. Oh, of everything. Yeah, there's always, you know. Um, so you saying that you have, a, do you have a son or a daughter? I have a daughter and she is seven and a half, as she seven would tell you. Okay. <laughs> I used to work in childcare, so um, I'm currently studying to be a teacher. So I do like kids, but I feel like seven is a good age, a little bit lower than that. And I would say, get it away from me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I could not ever work in childcare again. It was so stressful. But um, so how old were you when you had her? Well, you didn't. So I was... Her, but... Yeah, 24 when she was born. And would you say that you having a kid, because uh, I don't know if you would determine, would you define 24 as quite young to have a kid in America, or is that pretty standard? Relatively. Definitely used to be more standard. I'd say in my generation, a lot of my peers have had kids just in the last two to three years. That's been more standard as for people to wait till around 30. So, I mean, at least in my group, I was pretty young, but it's certainly not, it's not like a crazy young age advocate. It's not like 18, 19, that would be like very young. But in my, in my circles, I was pretty much the only kid at my age with a, sorry, only adult at my age with yeah. a kid. Yeah, it's funny because I actually have a lot of um, friends currently or ex-friends who are what, 22, 23, and they're having their second kid. And I look at it and I go, oh my God, like, I mean, for some people, that's what they want to do. But I think a lot of the people who do have kids um, at the age that I am currently, at least in Australia, a lot of them um, seem to be so rushed into it and go, oh, I need to have a kid now. And then I need to have a second kid and a third kid because now that I've had one, you know, they need to all be roughly the same age so that they get along. And then you find that because, especially in Australia with the uh, our system, our government system being so good, like if you have kids... You can technically live on um, uh, the wage that the government gives you when you have children if you're unemployed. So you find, especially in a lot of um, poorer areas, especially where I'm from, there will be people who will be having multiple kids. I think partially because they know that it's an easy life for them and they never have to work again, which is sad. You see a lot of mistreatment of kids, especially in my area. Um, like in my... So I've always lived in London Road. It's a... It's an iconic um, Wodonga street. It's very feral. I don't know if you use the word feral, do you? Like nope. <laughs> no, you, don't, you don't use feral. I've, I've noticed there's lots of things when I've been talking to people from other countries, they go, what does that word mean? And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that we only use that in Australia. Um, uh, like redneck sort of similar, oh, similar okay. vibe. Yeah. Um, but there were lots who would be selling and dealing drugs and then they would keep having children and the, the kids would get neglected and they would just keep having babies so that they could afford to keep up with their lifestyle. But um, so, so at what point after having your child, what's her name? Uh, her name is Laika. 
Leica. Um, at, yeah. at what point after having Leica did you actually think to yourself, I really need to get out of this relationship and leave and come out in a sense? Yeah, so I would say her being born is a huge catalyst for that. Yep. Um, it's often said that having children changes you. And I would say that's true. And it is in some kind of abstract way. You know, it's not necessarily easy to describe or quantifiable, but it does change you. And it just changes the way you feel about things and the way your heart works and the way your brain works. And so I, you know, had obviously this attraction. I got married pretty young at 21 and she was only 18 and we felt like God told us to get married. Like we didn't even date that long. We were actually just friends and then felt like God said, you guys are going to get married. So then we did get married. And once we had like a, just something awoken in me of like, I can't keep this up. And it was really the first time in my life that I had the thought, and this sounds very dumb. I consider myself somewhat intellectual, but <laughs> um, it was the first time I ever had the thought like, oh, maybe I'm gay. Maybe that's the problem here, right? So it was kind of always just this like bad thing I had about me, this, this homosexual attraction. And it was like my cross to bear, quote unquote. So that's kind of a, a phrase in Christianity is everyone has their cross to bear. Yep. Everyone has their struggle, right? So that was kind of mine up until this point. I mean, I still felt that way, but I was kind of acknowledging like, oh, maybe I'm I'm a gay person. And that's the cross to bear. It's not just this weird perverted attraction I have. It's actual like a sexual orientation that's, inherent in me in some way and so I I told a close friend uh, a couple years after she was born so really struggled with it internally and I would seek some prayer or counseling but only in an exclusively anonymous way so I would never like go to like a church leader I knew personally I would always go to someone I didn't and just kind of talk about the attraction or if I you know was consuming gay porn or anything like that. Like I would just kind of ask for prayer or counseling or things around that. But then I told a close friend, I actually told two friends, this is kind of a funny, never ending inside joke still to us, but I, I worked with people and I worked in Christian organizations. So I worked at like a Christian missionary training facility for seven years. And you literally signed a contract there saying you wouldn't be gay to work there. Oh, There's wow. like all these, this whole like morality clause to work there. But I told them one day that I have a deep, dark secret. And I even said that day, I think that me saying I have a deep, dark secret is the beginning of me saying what the deep, dark secret is, right? It's like this, it eventually lead into that. And sure enough, I ended up telling a friend, it was like my only non-Christian friend that I really had. And she was the one I felt most comfortable going to for somewhat obvious reasons. And then pretty soon after that, um, my wife found out, I don't, you know, I told her, but it was kind of circumstances led to her knowing something was up. And then I told her and then really for a couple years pursued getting healed of it and turning straight and did a lot of like counseling and kind of, um, I don't know, like prayer session things around trying to get to like the root of things and the root of that attraction and that 
sin, quote unquote. And I worked with different people and some of them had more of that agenda than others. And I ended up working with this lady who really didn't have that agenda and just wanted to help and help the marriage and us as individuals in any way. And so she was, you know, really instrumental in me kind of coming to terms with it. Um, what was not your because reaction? Um, it was mixed. I, I hate to speak for people, so I won't speak too much to what her reaction was, but there was definitely a part of her that was like, okay, this makes sense to me for certain reasons throughout the marriage. And then I think a part shock and she was just such a kind of, I would say somewhat idealized the idea of marriage and of, you know, you get married, you have a kid, that's your family, that's your life. This is a huge thing in Christian culture. I think to a dangerous degree, I really don't like it about Christian culture here. We've kind of made Christianity about marriage and it's really weird because it's not a huge theme in the Bible, but really it's kind of like, if you're a good Christian, you get married and you have kids and you live a good American life and you work that job and you get your 401k and, you know, and so I think she really wanted that life and had this idea of like, I was like her only boyfriend ever. She, you know, she always thought she was just going to have this one man in her life and have her perfect family and live this perfect Christian life. And then that all got blown up. And so I think there was like a shell shock there and she reacted in a lot of different ways, somewhat erratically. I was an emotional wreck. I was, you know, really suicidal for a time and would really physically abuse myself in a lot of instances and just kind of beat myself bloody sometimes. Um, and it was a hard, hard journey and a hard couple of years. And we really fought for it, to be honest, you know, because I did love her and I'm, you know, love's a very difficult thing to quantify and figure out and define, but you know it when you're experiencing it. And I believe I can love someone who I'm not sexually attracted to. And yeah, really yeah, the exactly. issue, the issue there was, was that obviously. And so, yeah. so it, it was about two years after I told her and my daughter was four years old and ultimately she ended up, I, about two months earlier, I kind of made a quote unquote deal with God. <laughs> so I, I, had been through all this process of trying to get healed and trying to get fixed. And I even think the ideas around that and that language is not helpful. Right. But at the <laughs> time that's, that's what I was trying to do. Yep. And at one point I was kind of like, this is kind of ruining my life. It's not beneficial to my life and it's hurting me and I'm a disaster emotionally. And it's just taking its toll. It's taking a very serious toll and I'm afraid I'm going to, take my own life or really hurt myself or really hurt those around me, not in a physical way, but, you know, hurt yeah. everyone around <laughs> me in an emotional way. And I never cheated or had an affair or anything like that. Um, but I kind of said like, God, if your end game here is to heal me, and if this is something that can be healed and I can be straight and then go tell people that, Hey, this is a fixable thing. And God performed a miracle then I will do everything I need to do for 30 days, for 30 more days to make that happen. I'll believe for it. I'll have the faith for it. I'll pray about it. I'll do whatever I need to do. But if after that 30 days, I'm still gay, I'm not going to try to get fixed. I'm not going to try to heal it. And so 30 days came and went. And uh, obviously I was still gay 
And, you know, I, I just want to put this note out there because I think a lot of gay people who are Christians or wannabe or Christians who struggle with the same thing I did and maybe aren't out or whatever, there's this kind of conflict of, can I, can I be a Christian and be gay? Can I, can these two ideas coexist? And there's a lot of pushback from a lot of Christians that say they can't, but you know, I'm, I'm someone who believes you can hear from God and he will speak to you and how we hear is in different ways. But I very clearly heard from God once those 30 days were up, I was kind of in the midst of losing a lot of weight and getting healthier. And I was just trying to get healthier in every way. Right. And so I would run a lot and I was never a runner, but I would go on these jogs and it was kind of my time away with God and to process. And God told me to start saying out loud while I ran, I'm gay and that's okay. And it took me a very long time to do. It took me weeks and weeks to actually get it out. And then I'd start doing it. And then I was this crazy person on hiking trails, running out loud saying I'm gay and that's okay. And I'm sure that was very comical for some people to hear passing <laughs> by. But, you know, ultimately I feel that God never tried to change me and God never tried to fix me. It was only people who did. And, you know, there's a lot of shame and hardship around the fact that I got married and lived that life and came out so late and just did everything the way I did. Right. I have a lot of regrets from like 18 to 28, but, <laughs> um, you know, ultimately I, I did get my daughter out of it and I, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So I'm still thankful that that happened, but I, yeah, I, I went two more years after telling her we tried to do it. And then when, once she found out I was no longer going to pursue healing, she just decided, okay, well then that's kind of my end game for this, you know, from her perspective. So then this isn't going to work and we need to split up and you need to move out. And that process began. But I think the important thing is that you actually did make the move and decide, no, this isn't fair. This isn't working because you see a lot of people I've met lots of people. Well, maybe two, but that's a lot for me because I don't even know that many gay people. But I've met a couple of people who have said that for years they um, said, nope, I'm not going to be gay. Like, I have gay urges, but I'm going to just... Uh, I feel like it's definitely something that I'm sure lots of older people did back in the day. You know, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, I'm going to have sex, and no one will ever know about it. So the fact that there's still people now who are so ashamed, and it's really sad, there's people that are so ashamed that they go, look, I can't come out I'm just going to keep having sex with girls and stay in my relationship and be unhappy and know that I'm not going to do anything about it. So at least you actually made the decision and decided, no, this isn't working. Yeah, for sure. And you know, that's, I understand obviously where people are coming from with that kind of thing, but I do think that certainly from the religious communities around the world, um, and a lot of political things, but there's this kind of movement of that is the right thing to do. And I don't think it is for anybody. I don't, obviously it's not right for the person who's experiencing that, but it's not right for the spouse either. Like part of why I feel so horrible is I did put my ex-wife in that position in a very difficult position where she felt like she had true love and she had the perfect situation, everything she ever wanted out of life. And now kind of you know, again, I don't want to speak for her, but to some degree feels like that was ripped away from her. Yeah. And so people who are kind of suppressing it and like, oh, I'm going to go do the normal thing anyway, because that's what you do in society. 
I don't think that's purely being fair to their spouse ultimately, because that's not what their spouse wants. Like, I don't want to be with someone who doesn't really want to be with me. Right. So it's, it's difficult. And I certainly understand why it was done more in the past. And hopefully we're getting to a place where now people can, you know, and it seems like that certainly in, in more progressive cultures, where young people are okay to come out as gay and they're not going to get kicked out of their home or excommunicated from their friend groups or things like that. But for a long time that was happening. So it, it made sense to just go through the motions and, and do all those things. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I've had a similar experience, not even in the sense of a marriage, but um, my ex, I was with him for three years and it got to the point where I just thought, you know what, like my attraction levels for you are not the same as what they were when we were first together. And I had tried lots of things to change that. And my understanding of that was, well, I'm wasting my time. I'm also wasting his time and it's not fair to either of us. So why should I put him through that and myself? And I feel like that's, it's a hard realization to come to. Yeah, it really is. Can I ask, when did you come out? Oh, um, I was 16. It's funny you should say, you saying about you um, going on your runs and yelling out I'm gay because I feel like, I would, I would hope, I don't know if it's true or not, but I am sure that every gay person would remember the first time that they actively told someone that they were gay. I remember the first two girls that I actually told, it was way before I came out to everyone as a whole, um, but I told two girls and one of them told another person and I, I should have been really mad in that moment, but I was young and I didn't really think much of it. Um, but it took me until I was 16. I think I didn't know until I was 14 and then I came out at 16 and I thought to myself, I'm not going to tell everyone in the general sense and I'm not going to post about it on Facebook like people do because I didn't want that level of attention brought towards it. I just thought I'm going to go up to my friends and start a conversation about some guy that I've been talking to and see how they respond. And hopefully it won't even be a conversation. It will just lead into them asking me about this guy. And sure enough, that was what happened. And look, I mean, I was very flamboyant as a um, teenager. So I assumed that they already had some idea, but for them it was, okay, cool. What's the guy's name? And it was good. Um, and I think it's so nice to be able to have an experience like that. It wasn't necessarily the same with my parents. Uh, but with my friends, it was fine. I never had any other talk about it. It was just, oh, okay, you're gay. Gotcha. Yeah, mine was a bit of a longer journey than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I mean, for some people, it's really hard. I know people who got kicked out. Um, I didn't have anything like that happen to me to that extent. I think my relationship, uh, like with my mom, is really amazing. My mom supports everything that I do. She always asks about anyone that I'm seeing. Um, like I've been seeing a guy recently and she was on FaceTime, like trying to talk to him. And then when he, when she came down to visit me a couple of weeks back, she said, Oh, I hope I'm going to meet him. And I was like, yeah, not today. Cause we're a bit busy, but she's completely fine with everything to the point where I think she's definitely become a lot more progressive, um, and a really good, uh, parent in regards to that compared to what she was like when I first came out, which is natural. That makes perfect sense to me. But at the start, she did say a couple of things that I thought, oh, like, I don't know if I really like you saying that. It's making me a bit upset. But I knew that it was something that she had to come to terms with, so I didn't blame her for it. Um, and now, my brother, um, we have this 
running bet going where we go, hmm, is my brother Tom, he's 17. Is he going to be gay? Um, just because I see so many people who, are, uh, who have uh, younger siblings who also turn out gay. And he hasn't dated anyone and he's 17 now and we have the thought going on. But um, my mum is good. She says to Tom, oh, you know, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? Um, and she's really fine with that. Maybe to some extent it's not great for him because we do like to joke about it a lot. And I have told my mum before, I'm like, maybe we shouldn't be joking about that as much because him as, you know, obviously I'm the older gay brother and that's fine. But I think him, maybe if he were to be gay, to be the only other gay person in the family and to feel the need to not say anything because I'm gay and I'm the older brother and what he would be thinking in regards to how my mum would react to that, even though she's fine with me, would she be as okay with a second, her only other mm. son being gay? Um, so it's a hard one. But I know people who got kicked out. Um, my dad doesn't speak to me anymore over it. Um, I, there were lots of other issues with my dad as well as that, but my dad doesn't speak to me anymore. The last time I uh, went up to visit him, he was very... I could tell that he was going out of his way to say homophobic things to me to get a reaction out of me, to, to elicit a certain response. And I thought, I'm not doing this, so I just didn't mention it to him. And I've never told him. He knows now because he said a couple of not nice things to my brother. And I guess that's another thing with my brother. I'm like, okay, he's not really actively speaking to my dad at this point, but having my dad go, oh, you know, these, you know, whatever he says about me, for my brother to hear that if he were to be gay, that would not be nice. I had, you know, every, every gay kid goes through that where they have their parents, regardless of how supportive they are, every gay kid has that situation where their parents are watching TV and they go, oh, you know, the gays or something like that. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily even trying to be rude, but it's just the way that lots of people talk. And as a gay kid, you sit there and you go, oh, like, oh, they're not going to like that. So yeah, it's hard. Um, we're going to have to wrap up. Okay. So did you want to um, tell everyone your social media or anything else? before we go oh sure yeah you guys can follow me i blog sometimes politically um on on my socials and my website so all my socials are just i am yanyez which is i a m y a n y e z so at i am yanyez you can follow me i release music i'm an actor i do stuff with film help produce films write as well as act in them and then uh, we'll be releasing some music this year as well as blogging so uh, follow me and connect and always feel free to reach out I love to message strangers about stuff so and I'll put your username in the bio as well I just have to work out how to upload it all because I have not uploaded anything yet <laughs> yeah appreciate that Jake um, yeah, appreciate really you nice having to me meet you, and I will talk to you later yeah absolutely okay. thanks so See much ya. Bye. All right. Bye.